Welcome to the Talking Solutions with the Chesh podcast. I'm your host, William Cheshire. Join me in learning about optimistic solutions to some of society's problems as we interview entrepreneurs, small business owners, and employees, among others, working to provide solutions and bring positivity into the world. Welcome into another edition of the Talking Solutions with the Chesh podcast. This week, we're going back over to the UK, and we are talking with the CEO and founder of Munch, Mr. Sheeta Gillies. And Darshita, how are you today? I'm very good. I am in warm and sunny Mumbai, or maybe not so sunny today. Uh, it's monsoon here. I'm well, thank you. Oof. Yeah, that's the, kind of the bad type of warm, right? The the deep humidity and the wetness, <laughs> not so good, huh? Uh, I. I, I don't know. I'm used to it, so I enjoy it. And it's not like I get much of it in London. So I'm very happy. No complaints. That's true. Quite the opposite there. The the more cold and, and kind of steady rain over in London. And Darshita, you have a solution that really kind of excites me and gets me really curious. And so I'm really excited to kind of get going uh, on this podcast. So I want you to just kind of describe what Munch does and the solution that it provides and the type of impact that it can have for uh, investors, corporations, um, and philanthropy as well towards achieving the UN's sustainable development goals. Super. You know, I like to keep it when I start uh, about explaining Munch, although it's a complex idea, the essence is quite simple. Uh, we all know that when money moves around, it has impact on the people, the economy, the environment. And so far, we've made decisions by factoring in only some or fraction of the data in making financial decisions. And my vision and my aim and my wish with creating Munch is that we create systematic solutions that capture the other sort of non-financial information and that enables us to think about financial, financial decision-making um, with an impact lens. So it, it becomes inclusive of impact, not just uh, risk and return. I love it. And Darshita, something that really stood out to me when, when I was kind of researching your company and organization and having a look at it as well was trying to define the problem as it is, right? Because one thing that really stood out to me that what you said, and when it comes to philanthropy, because we're talking about the problem of the inefficiency of, of utilizing our funds through through philanthropy, but something you said that really stood out to me was it's not that there's not enough people that want to, to, to donate that want to impact in a positive way. It's just, it's very inefficient in how. So how did you go about kind of recognizing the inefficiency within the uh, corporations, within philanthropy, within investment and things of that nature as well, and kind of come up with this solution uh, at the beginning? Because I feel like it's maybe a little bit of a unique take. Maybe that's just my opinion, but that really stood out to me. I was like, huh, wow, a lot of people might kind of talk about how there's not enough good in the world, but you know, you're saying there is enough good. It, the issue is its efficiency. Yeah, um, I think there are there are several challenges or pain points for each of the different stakeholders, whether we look at corporates, investors, or the philanthropy. When when I'm talking about philanthropy in particular, I think what I realized is uh, when I was doing research, just uh, like making a business plan to think about the idea and whether it has legs. I I just did a very cursory research um, just on the UK. And in the UK, and this I'm not talking actually, when I say UK, just England and Wales have 168,000 registered charities over. And 
when I looked at 2017, 2018, 2019 data, it said roughly 20 billion pound, uh, probably more, uh, was received as income by these charities. And that's when I started to question if there is so much money that's going into charitable entities, why is it that we still don't see impact? Uh, or why is it that we still don't see change? So I distilled the, you know, long story swift, I distilled the challenge into two main pain points. One is that if I think in a macro sense, when we think about capital, we always th- we we know the principle you you join up capital and you can have more impact with joined up capital with philanthropy it's fractured philanthropy uh, which is why money goes into different initiatives but actually if we all come together and we say let's tackle education and these are the needs within education who's funding education and now let's tackle all these needs then we are stronger together so my first vision with Manj is to really enable collaboration at a scale of the whole, not just within micro groups that, that are focused on something. So first idea is how do we enable and foster collaboration at a global level? And the second challenge is when you want to foster collaboration at a global scale, how do you leverage technology? And the philanthropy sector, obviously, for various reasons, lends itself well to getting the benefits of uh, automation and reducing cost overhead so that more capital can actually go to the beneficiaries. So these are, I would say, the two points that the Munch solutions enable, collaboration and operational efficiency. Fantastic. And how is it going so far? How are you kind of measuring those results and, and how, what, what type of feedback are you getting from, from all f- sorts of sectors, whether it be the corporations, the philanthropies, or, or the investors in and of themselves? Super. So yeah, I spoke about the philanthropy solutions. And, you know, during COVID, what we also realized is we could, we had the opportunity to fast track some of our business plan. And we launched solutions for investors and corporates. A bit, uh, they're obviously investors and corporations are slightly different. In fact, largely different from the philanthropy ecosystem, different motivations, different needs, etc. But the essence is the same. Investors allocate capital, give it to companies to go and deliver solutions and people's needs. And in return, companies generate profit and that benefits the investors. So the idea here is quite similar to the philanthropy ecosystem. But we also know there is a lot of regulation around how investment needs to occur. And we're also seeing a huge rise in the news about ESG. And now even in the UK, the FCA, the financial regulators have created um, a guideline for what ESG actually means and how uh, investors uh, need to report. And we recognize a similar challenge with investors and with companies is investors need to report on certain data and uh, companies are still getting to grips with what data is actually needed and how do we capture that. So at the moment, there are good efforts, but they are still not concerted efforts and they are still not streamlined and not many automated efforts. A lot of the data capture Uh, within corporates and within investor segments is manual on spreadsheets all joined up together to create some kind of a harmonized report. And what we do at Munch is really to bring 
uh, a reality to what's really happening on the ground. So when I say impact, it doesn't just mean you having a you're doing great and these are the number of lives you impacted. When we create a report for our corporates or for our investors, we give them a mirror or a true lens of what's really happening on the ground. We help them think about strategies that they can adopt in the short term, but also in the long term. Uh, if they have challenges in their supply chain, they need to know now and they need to put practices into place now. So I would say uh, uh, solutions vary for each stakeholder, but at the heart of it, we really enable all our clients to understand what impact is and how their organization can capture that information, can analyze that information and report on it and make meaningful decisions. So it's it's almost like meaningful transparency to the leaders within the organizations so that they can become impact inclusive over the short term, but also prepare for the long term. Yeah, it, it, to me, it sounds like there's a lot of education that goes uh, goes along on, on your end as well, because it sounds like that this is something that uh, maybe they're not thinking of or that they have thought of too much before. Like you mentioned before, it used to be kind of more manual where they try to get all the data and write it down. We all know how that is. That's frustrating. You know, it can take uh, a lot longer and, and it allocates a lot more resources as well. So how much education would you say do you provide and, and do you kind of go with when you're making these pitches to, to, to all three sectors or maybe one in particular that might be higher? You know, I didn't start with the idea of education, but as you go with your idea into the market, you realize, oh, there is a big jump from adoption of technology that each and every stakeholder will need to make. And and so we are bridging that gap, uh, yes, with education. And we realize that even educational needs are quite different because not everyone needs to know everything about impact. So the essence is how do you tailor education in a way that only the relevant piece of information is delivered to the relevant stakeholder to make it relevant for them, their role, and but also not just relevant, inspire them that they really have an opportunity in their hand to deliver something that's going to make a tangible difference, that's going to course correct the trajectory of the organization if they just brought them themselves to the party with uh, with adding this additional layer of how do I think about impact in my role. So when we work with our organizations, uh, we don't just work with a small group. All our programs are designed to educate everyone in an organization, bring them all together. That's that's great. Yeah, when it comes to education, you know, I'm sure that's not something that you know a lot of uh, CEOs and things of that nature go into it thinking, oh yeah, great, they're all just going to understand my problem. It'll be fantastic. I don't need to teach anything. But I think the education part of it, when it comes to especially a solution like yours, is really powerful because I feel like it can spread a message. Yeah, you know, it's like okay, this is really cool. We can measure these impact and make sure we're allocating these resources correctly, and we can actually reach those those goals that that are set out. And that kind of brings me to my next question uh, in terms of your focus on solving some of the UN's sustainable development goals. A lot of people, obviously, you know, know of the the United Nations and things of that nature as well. But can you just explain to people a little bit that may not know uh, just a bit about uh, how the UN goes about those sustainable development goals and kind of what they're in place for? Um, as well, and, and why and why you use that as a resource and kind of a, a bar to to set. Super. You know, we could just have a separate podcast on the SDGs, but uh, to summarize it, the United Nations, as we know, is a global body which has membership of over 193 countries. For the first time in the UN history, 
all these member bodies agreed to 17 set of goals almost even before they were signed and they had a plan and I call the global goals or the 17 global goals as the world's to-do list um, for the next nine years now and uh, why they are unique and why should we pay attention to them is because for the first time again the UN uh, we traditionally know is always focused on developing countries and challenges about poverty, education, health, etc. But this is the first time where the UN actually has embraced challenges at a global scale. So it also recognizes and creates a pathway for the challenges that the developed nations faced, which includes production, which includes climate change, which were previously not part of the UN agenda, uh, more broadly speaking. There are challenges with regards to the goals and the frameworks and the way they are set. Obviously, they were set for governments to monitor country data. So when you have to distill it down to an organization or an investor, it's tricky, it's hard, and you don't know like where to start. It's complex. And not all goals are relevant for all organizations. So that was the first start, which is how, for me, it was how do I make the SDGs relevant? Because in the end, whatever we do, we are either contributing towards achieving that goal or we are not. And um, whether we count it or not, whether we measure it or not, it's happening. And so I wanted to distill the system down into a level that any person could understand by taking a certain action, which goal would they be achieving or would, which goal would they be prejudicing us from achieving if they made that action or made that decision. And so we've created a very simple system which automates how these goals are uh, allocated. And it's, it's an ever-evolving system, as we know, with technology. We learn more. Uh, we uh, learn more each day, but also we learn that the SDGs are the indicators that are attached with the sustainable development goals are changing because, you know, when the first set of goals were announced, the 17 goals, and there are 169 targets, each of the targets had certain indicators, like how are we going to measure that we've achieved this target? And what was, uh, rel what was apparent is we were not even measuring at a country level what data would prove we've achieved that goal. So over the last five, six years, these indicators and targets, not the targets, but the indicators. So how do we measure has changed. So at Manj, we monitor how the uh, indication, indicator mechanism is changing and we adapt our systems to make sure that our clients don't need to do that work. And uh, the SDG world is complex and I think we can all be spending more time doing what is right rather than trying to understand a complex system and trying to figure out how our work fits into that system. So at Munch, we've taken that on as one of our jobs to do. Oh, that's amazing. And I'm curious when you when you're talking to these corporations, obviously the philanthropies have targeted goals. Like you know, most philanthropies are, are attacking one issue, you know, whether it might be, you know, climate change, hunger, 
you know, poverty, whatever it might be. But I'm curious when it comes to maybe um, the investor side of thing, for example, or for perhaps with the corporation. Corporations, I would imagine, may have more defined goals. But uh, when you work with investors or when you envision working with investors and to doing that, are they normally going to be fully aware of the goals that they want? Or do is that where, like you said, they you come in and say, hey, look, these are these goals that you can reach from the UN. These are the SDGs. And these are the ones that we think you can go with. And then this is how you can measure the impact as well. So how much of that do they kind of go in with the knowledge of and how much of it is what you said saying, okay, we got to do all the heavy lifting, but you know, obviously we're really happy you're here. We have a slightly different stance on the SDGs. I think we've seen a trend globally where organizations pick and choose which SDG, whereas actually the SDGs are interconnected. So when to give an example, like in philanthropy, if you are funding an education program for rural women in India so that they can have jobs, yes, you could say it's education, but just by delivering a training, you're actually achieving SDG 1, no poverty, you're achieving uh, SDG 4, education, SDG 5, gender equality, uh, SDG 8, decent work and employment. I could go on and on. So what we say to organizations is just do what you're doing and just log what you're doing. And by just choosing the activity, we have mapped the interconnection of the goals. So you as an investor, you as a foundation, you as a corporate can authentically say by doing this activity, we've had this impact on the global goals. So they don't actually have to choose whether it was goal four, they don't even have to know the SDG framework. But if they want to and choose to report and look at their work through the UN SDG lens, they actually have a data trail that shows how they've had an impact on the SDGs. And I imagine that brings out more uh, motivation, more satisfaction when they kind of see that interconnectedness as well, where it's not just, hey, oh, this is one goal. Nice. No, it's like, hey, this goal, because we're working on it, is now helping us achieve the next goal. And it's kind of like a domino type effect type thing. It, it kind of seems and sounds like. Yep, exactly. And, uh, you know, the flip side of that is people don't want to know if they're making, causing harm. So I think that's one, one, I would say it's a, it's a global thing. It's not, it's personal and it's global. So we, we are just figuring out how do we also learn the negatives in a way that People can see them responsibly and say, hey, all of this is great. And SDGs is not just about making progress on achieving something. Are you doing it at the cost of maybe not helping another goal? And so that's where I would say the biggest challenge is for corporations and investors worldwide is the ability to even look at what's actually not working through the SDG lens, where they're contributing to, you know, sort of, how almost preventing companies, countries from achieving the SDGs because we know we're, we're there, which is why they exist. <laughs> right. And that's, that's a part I find really interesting as well is because I feel like with corporations, you can just go down this to a micro level as well with a human being, you know, for example, with trash or something like that, right? What, what you don't see, you don't know. And it kind of is, uh, I guess, ignorance, if you will, for each person. I mean, maybe not intended, but that's what it is sometimes is, is if you don't see that negative impact that you're having, it just kind of floats by, it goes away in, in your head and whatnot. You don't think about it as well. So I would imagine that when you show them that, hey, look, these might be some negative things or when you come up with those negative things and then you turn it into a positive, that's probably pretty well received. I, I would imagine most people probably, 
are especially the philanthropies and well more especially the investors and the corporations they're probably pretty keen to to kind of turn on the switch and, and get to work on that then do they do you feel a sense of excitement when when they kind of go oh no and then boom now we can hit these goals i think uh, yes and there are many challenges as well there is resistance people are and it's it's not just organizations we work with i think it's a very human thing it, it includes me as well uh, we all have to change our consumption patterns if we want to achieve certain goals and to drive that behavior at a personal level is hard we already know it to drive a behavior like that at an institutional level is even harder that said i would i would completely balance it by there is a lot of excitement there is a lot of enthusiasm and everyone that we work with has shown real responsibility in the face of being shown that these are like areas where you can make massive improvements and you know when we are working with larger corporations we know they have practical challenges they can't just turn off the switch and it's not just with one organizations we work with in organizations globally cannot just say we're going to stop exploitation of labor in our supply chain as much as we would like it and as much as we would want it the challenge is real but also uh, it's not just a off switch so i think it's 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 a long way we have to go but it starts with us being aware that there is a, there is a problem and it cannot go on and then us working together on how do we address this challenge yes we definitely don't want exploited labor in our supply chain now how do we correct these contracts how do we tell our investors it's going to cost us more to deliver the same product how do we then explain to our investors we're going to have less profit how do the investors explain to the investors who've invested through the investors that they're not going to be able to pay pensions they're not going to be able to have returns and so on and so forth so it's it's a joined up cycle it's not an easy we know that's wrong and we should stop it kind of motivation and there is a lot of transparency that's missing in the sector and that's what one more reason why impact data needs to be transparent it can't be proprietary uh information because whatever impact organizations have on global assets uh, everyone needs to know right and and yeah i definitely want to get d- uh, down more into details of you know your solution uh, and you know necessitatal impact and have everything on that but i i guess uh, another question i kind of want to ask based on that and uh, it sounds like you know you're in the early where we are as really i guess humans in the in the human race like we're at a time where uh, it's kind of a special time because we're able to kind of recognize and tackle all of these issues uh, that I feel like, you know, within the last 100, 150 years, we've we've kind of advanced to a point where we can do that, like you've talked about from a global scale and things of that nature as well. So, you know, in the early innings of that and, and that kind of start. But I'm curious to you, uh, for you personally, and, and maybe your team as well, when you see all these challenges and you see kind of all these problems as well, how do you compartmentalize all of that? You know, because it, I envision that it could be a little overwhelming at times because you kind of look at it, it's you know, you're not just tackling a problem at a local level, but you're trying to scale that globally. You're trying to not just tackle it from an individual level. You're trying to change that institutionally. So how do you go about, you know, kind of compartmentalizing it and, and, and really staying positive and confident uh, in your solution and what you're providing? I say I, I personally, when I started Munch, I knew that sustainability and technology is is going to be our saviors 
especially when combined together. And what's beautiful is that you attract talent. You attract the inspired people who are just motivated to deliver change. And so there, is, there isn't like where you have to like go upstream and struggle. It's not a struggle in finding people who align with the vision, who know what needs to be done, who are proactive. So I would say I am massively enabled by an amazing team uh, and an amazing group of advisors who give us counsel from time to time, flag to us what's happening, keep us abreast with how they are seeing changes in their sector. So uh, for us within the Munch team, it's a constant learning curve, trying to keep abreast with the changing regulations and how they have impact on different stakeholders we work with, etc. And it's fun because uh, it keeps us on our toes. In bringing the, the same sort of learning curve and the learning journey to our clients, we try and do as much homework as we can to make the added information relevant and, and not just bombard people with more and more information. And when we've created our systems, we've, we've tried to almost keep, it's, it's very hard. You know, it's very easy to write like a thousand words, but then if you have to shrink the thousand words to make it to a hundred, that's the tricky part. So building tech and building solutions where you have this big vision and you can add so many features and so much knowledge and enrich. We also know people have jobs to do and they don't have, they're not sitting there just to learn. They're sitting there also to do a job. So we keep that in mind and we make sure that the learning links are around, but the systems that we design are designed to help them work effectively. So that's like a, the, the tricky balance that uh, we try and keep as much as possible as we, uh, as we deliver our solutions. Like, for example, in, in the philanthropy space, we all know, like, there are stories these amazing charities, nonprofits have to share about the real impact they've had. And yet, when it comes to making a funding decision, foundations and, and, and funders want to see few key data sets. The stories are fantastic and, and they evoke the emotional spirit. And we don't want to cut that out. Uh, but we also want to make sure that all the other common data sets are there. So what we've tried to do is bring that narrative in, but created a two-page template that pretty much allows you to compare apples with apples, pairs with pairs, and then make an informed decision. Yeah, that's amazing. That's uh, the type of thing where you hit really a lot of key points that, there that I was kind of thinking of the effectiveness of rolling into it and how it's going to work. First, you got to get the team, you got to get the people that roll in that are inspired and, and that are positive and, and really want to find that solution to the problem. And then you have to effectively um, find a way to to get your clients or the people that you're working with on board with that. And that's by making it so it's still efficient and you doing the homework for them, but still allowing them a little bit of learning so that they understand how important it is but also just providing that solution that's effective. And you know, I love the thousand words to 100 words. That's uh, It's always more difficult to be concise um, with what you're trying to say. It's a lot easier to just go into detail and kind of talk more. But when you want to get it straight to the point, you know, whether that's copywriting or whatever, it's a, it's a really powerful tool to be concise. So I love that. It sounds like the systems are on board for your team. And it sounds like that most importantly, your team is inspired to work, which, you know, obviously I'm all about, you know, the podcast is about, you know, highlighting and, and 
showing people that are inspired like you and your team are as well. So I want to um, move forward a little bit and, and talk a little bit about what you're working on now and some of the things that are going on for your solutions. I know that uh, y'all have been working on net societal impact and measuring that kind of as well. You've touched on that briefly, but I was hopeful you could kind of go in a little bit more on, on telling us a little bit about what is net societal impact, what does it measure, uh, and how does it uh, provide a solution? Super. So the net societal impact is a solution for corporates. And at this stage, we offer the solution to high growth organizations, but it's pretty much available and open to any organization anywhere in the world. And the essence of the solution is that organizations have an impact every step of the way from the time they hire people from the time they consume materials, from the time they process material, from the time they sell their goods, from the time they market their solutions, et cetera, et cetera. Every step of the way, even small things like when when you buy your paper to print as a business, when you purchase paper, you're having an impact and you have an opportunity to choose a different policy, a different paper provider, et cetera. So every step of the way, a business has impact. And what the net impact solutions deliver is that mirror back to the organization for their strategy, for their operations, for their governance, for their reporting on where they are strong and where they are weak. And that's delivered to them in a way that's concise and that's delivered to them in a way that's practical. So they can actually take steps, make goals, make targets, set milestones, and go about achieving them. So we, we've created the system in a way that breaks the complex impact journey into three simple steps. Step one is assess. So you get a diagnostic on where you are as an organization. And from that diagnostic, we also give you pointers on what can be your impact strategy. And from that assess phase, you walk out with an impact strategy in hand. And then the next step is activate. Now you've got to get the people uh, aligned, your processes aligned, and you've got to start measuring what counts that you have previously maybe not been counting. And you also have to activate conversations around long-term changes you need to make. And that's going to involve uh, a change project across the organization. So we help organizations also with the activate phase. And once they are going through that, we assess where in the system there are opportunities for automation so that they don't have to do repeat manual tasks of counting information sets again and again. How do we help them streamline the, how they capture information, how they analyze it, how they report it and create intelligent dashboards that give the right department, the right notification at the right time so that they can take action. So that's uh, our net societal impact solution in a nutshell. Just to add a little bit more flavor and dimension to it, within organizations we see, especially like large ones, many of them have CSR, corporate social responsibility divisions that have been active for some time. There is a, a huge push from investors on ESG data so non-financial disclosures that corporates need to make to their investors. But it's, it's still an evolving regulation. It's not 100% clear 
what investors are looking for what information from what kind of companies. And different uh, data services providers use publicly available data sets and allocate them points and put them in their systems. Uh, these are like data sets that relate to people or the environment or to governance. And these data sets are then consumed by investors. And the investors are now making decisions whether they keep their position in the company or sell their investments based on these data sets. So we help companies through net societal impact to understand how their operations, their reporting is creating an ESG score for them. And what can they do as organizations to ensure that they, if they are doing the good work, they are not prejudiced because maybe they're not communicating the information. And therefore, investors don't know that actually they're doing well. So we help companies really get to grips with how they navigate this very complex ESG territory as a part of our solution, at, uh, which is the Net Societal Impact Solution. And finally, uh, SDGs, let's not forget, we said that before and bringing that back in. We have built a system that allows the SDG allocation. So we allow, we enable companies to see their work through the SDG lens as well. That said, you know, it's not limited to CSR, ESG and 17 goals. The essence is the system is robust enough to help companies navigate how they really be responsible, but also how they would really be ambitious and deliver the growth that all their stakeholders want to see. That's fantastic. It provides just a it, it just data sets that everybody can kind of understand and look at and say, okay, here's your dashboard, here's your data, and this is how it's being positively affected. This is where you're negatively affecting. These are your areas of improvement. These are your areas of weaknesses. You know, these are potentially what some investors are looking for. Even as we collect more and more information uh, on what they're looking for, as you mentioned before, sometimes that's difficult to kind of you know find a precise uh, answer for that as well. But I think that that's um, a fantastic solution and something that I. Think think is kind of revolutionary. I mean, hopefully so, um, you know, in, in, in terms of society and, and reaching those goals, and then obviously for yourselves and in the organization as well. But Darshita, I want to ask and, and get to know a little bit uh, about yourself here and, and what drove you specifically, you know, your story a little bit um, as the founder to what kind of gives you that drive to want to achieve and accomplish these goals as well. So if you can kind of just give us some feedback and or I shouldn't say feedback, a, a story as well, a little bit about the founder, uh, about uh, Darshita, and tell us a little bit about what drives you and, and kind of why you decided to start this. Sure, especially given I'm here in Mumbai, it's it's all the more alive. The, it, I'm in my family home where I was born and raised. Uh, obviously, Mumbai as a city has grown and developed. And so we have a newly built building, but on the same property where we had the old building. And my family still lives in the same home. And I'm still in the little one-room house we have here, living with my brother and sister and my mom and dad. So for me, uh, I say my story is from the bottom 1% to the top 1% for 100% of the planet. And how I describe that is that I have lived what it is like to be in the bottom 1%, to live days where we didn't have food at home where we couldn't pay our electricity bills. And I had to study with the candlelight and 
the only thing I knew that night was I cannot cry because of my situation. I have to study and come out of the situation. And the best way out is to pass this exam and, uh, and get a good job. I got my first job with Standard Chartered uh, here in Mumbai. And since then, I feel like I've been on an upward trajectory. I'm one of those few people who says banking didn't take away my soul. I loved every hour, every minute I worked at the bank. I loved my role. I loved what I did. And I could have carried on. For me, there was a point in life where uh, I was pregnant and the question me and my husband asked ourselves is, if we want our child to be bold and take risks and be adventurous, how are we modeling that as parents? And we both looked at each other and we both knew we were in banking for the comfort and the luxury as much as we loved. We knew we weren't really pushing ourselves out of the comfort zone. So we decided to make the jump and, and here I am. For me, life is, or work is, is, what we do with our life. Uh, it's everything is our life's work. And uh, for me, munch is the way I choose to spend my time in solving the challenges that I feel are most worthy of spending my time on. Well, I can say that um, the story is inspirational and sounds you're, you're an inspirational person as well. And I think that you're spending a, a good amount of time solving some really important problems and helping companies and philanthropies and, and investors tackle those issues as well to solve those problems and provide solutions uh, to them in the world, especially because it's it's a process that's going to take time. It's going to take years, probably decades to, to get to these uh, levels as well. So I love that commitment and that inspirational story that you that you have, Darshita, we need, uh, you know, a lot more people tackling these problems you know with your mindset on that and and we can provide solutions there so that's really really cool and that's that's a great story to hear and and i'm super excited for you and uh, i really hope uh, you know munch continues to to thrive going forward uh, at that point as well but i want to give you an opportunity here as well darshita to to add anything that you'd like about uh munch where you're at what people should should go out and see how people can support and and just anything that you'd like to add about your organization thank you will I think uh, everything we offer obviously is on the website, but you know, a more personal note from me for anyone who's listening is no matter what you're doing, I would urge you to really consider, is this the best action I can take for myself now and for our future and everything that we do has an impact on the future of our planet to continue um, in the way that we have experienced the past. And when I say experience the past, I mean access to resources and especially natural resources that we consume even without thinking. So I would say whether you are an individual, uh, someone working in a company, whether you're an investor, whether you are a philanthropist, whether you're part of a nonprofit, think about materials you consume and think about is there a better way to source it, to dispose them. And also, if you're interested in finding solutions for your organizations and need a play partner who can help you think and, and make that pathway easy for you, uh, me and my team at Manch are always there, ready with our heads, hearts, and hands to help. 
Fantastic. Thank you so much, Darshita, for, for coming on the podcast here and speaking with us today. I, I really, really appreciate it. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Will. And that's going to wrap up uh, this episode of the Talking Solutions, a podcast, as we have the CEO and founder of Munch, Mr. Shita Gillies, coming uh, at us today. So a fantastic solution, something that's going to impact the society as a whole from a global level, especially in the years to come as we go forward. And there are plenty of ways you can stay in touch. Uh, as she mentioned, the best way to get all of the information uh, is via the Munch website, which you can find at M-A-A-N-C-H dot com. Uh, you can access all their social media on there and follow them as well. They also have a, a lot of great resources that you can kind of look at to get a better idea of what they do, how they do it, um, and staying up to date with what they are working on as well. So be sure to check uh, that out. And as always, we'll be highlighting them throughout the week. So you can find all of those links in our profile as well in the Instagram profile going forward to, to keep up with that. And then, uh, of course, all of our usual content of the highlight of the week and all that good stuff. So looking forward to seeing you on the Instagram platform, Facebook and YouTube as well. And I thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Talking Solutions podcast and looking forward to the next one. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks for listening to the Talking Solutions with the Chesh podcast. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode, and you can find out more about our featured guests and their solutions on our Talking Solutions podcast Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube channels as we focus on highlighting individuals providing solutions to social problems and bringing optimism to the world.